Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Underneath the Iceberg. I'm your host, Sean Denon. Join me as we dive deep into the untold stories of success. Through candid interviews, we're going to reveal pivotal moments and defining experiences that propelled these ordinary individuals to their level of greatness. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Underneath the Iceberg. I'm super excited about uh, today's guest, Jose Olarnos. <laughs> if I'm saying that right, perfect. Um, so uh, Jose is someone who, uh, and, and Jose, I'll tell you a little bit about himself when we get into it, but um, I've always enjoyed Jose's content. Jose's a great content creator online. Jose's a great motivational person, coach, speaker, um, and I've always enjoyed your content. So um, I just reached out. This is our first time meeting each other, actually, but um, I just reached out and knew that he was someone that I definitely wanted to have on the show. So Jose, thank you so much and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. And and thank you for the reaffirming my content. You say it that way. Thank you so much for that. So, yeah. Well, sometimes we, sometimes we do it and don't realize the impact that it's, you know, I, I'm not the best at always smashing that like button. Right. But, you know, and I, and I tell that, and actually that's a, a little uh, side side thing is I tell that to people about content creation all the time, just because you're not getting the, the likes or the comments or something doesn't mean people aren't consuming. Doesn't mean people aren't loving it. Doesn't mean people aren't eating up your content. Right. So mm-hmm. little, little side view, keep, keep creating. And, and it's also good to, to get a sense of how people are perceiving it, right? Like how how is, you know, maybe asking for feedback and, and 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 letting people tell you how they're perceiving you, especially people that don't know you. Absolutely. Yeah, reaching out and Absolutely. at some point asking how that's coming through. So I'm I'm pretty excited that that's that that's the way it's being perceived. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, it's great, man. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so as we always do, we're gonna we're gonna start early. So Jose, if you can start us from the beginning, tell us a little bit about childhood. You know where you came from, hopes and dreams, all that kind of stuff. Get us started. All right. That's exciting to me, by the way, to to start there and and to have that opportunity to be able to speak into that childhood. I am born in Nicaragua, nineteen eighty one, post civil war, here in the country. So we were born in, in, you know, being a father today, I can't imagine what my parents were going through in that moment here in the country. Um, two siblings, older siblings, were, th- were four, but I had my sister and my brother, then me, then my younger sister. And so we're born in Nicaragua, post-Civil War, into a communist government, um, you know, that was aligned with uh, Russia, um, and the, the whole communist bloc, Cuba. And, but my family, I mentioned this because my family was an oppositional family. We were opposed to the government, which is very important. If I move you forward in time, uh, my grandfather's brother was president of Nicaragua. Wow. And, yeah, in, 20, in 2001, 2002, he became president, but he was always an oppositional leader since back in the 80s which actually didn't make it easy for us. So we had to leave the country in 1986. We left and we went to live to Missouri. So I lived in St. Louis, Missouri, all right? My grandma is actually from St. Louis. Okay. My grandma is Irish American, Patricia Davis, where my grandfather went to live to study in St. Louis University. He met my grandma. They got married, so I have roots both both in Nicaragua and in St. Louis, Missouri. Excellent. So we went to live there um, for five years until there was a, a, a turning of the government here in Nicaragua. So okay. we had another government take over, and my father and my mother decided to come back to the country. And when, and when did that happen, Jose? How long did you spend in St. Louis? Five years. It was five, five years. years. So in nineteen ninety. About five years old when you moved there, and then you spent about five years in St. Louis? Yeah. So I was about five years old when we moved to St. Louis, five years there, came back. Uh, but I always felt Nicaragua was home. I felt that I wasn't home when I was in St. Louis. Gotcha. So when I came back, Nicaragua was a very enchanting country. There's a lot of freedom, even though it's uh, not political, but there's a lot of freedom to go outside, to go in the mountains, to go in the, the ocean. There's oceans, there's lakes, there's volcanoes. 
And I was always uh, a nature, um, I always loved nature. I was always uh, gathering bugs and I was uh, kind of nerdy around that. So Nicaragua just felt like an amazing place. I, when I was here, I completely loved it and I still do. You know, I still love being able to live in Nicaragua, even though my business is, um, is from the U.S. So most of my clients are U.S. based but I'm living in Nicaragua. So it's an, it's an incredible privilege to be able to do that. And, and we'll get into that, how I design my lifestyle. But um, came back, studied in the an American school, the American school here in Nicaragua. It's like a U.S. curriculum, uh, U.S. accredited school. All your teachers are American. Um, so we still, we were still very Americanized. Um, and so grew up. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was around 12. They separated and it was pretty shocking. And I took to, uh, so, so I was pretty bohemian and philosophical. I would write poetry. I would read since I was really young. Um, a, a lot of books around The Catcher in the Rye, 1984, Lord of, Lord of the Flies, uh, Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, I was always reading. I read books on communism. I, I actually read books on Marxism and, and political. I, I actually studied politics. I'm a political science major. But I was what, always what leading. Drove that? What drove that? Was it just an interest? Was it because of the opposition, the things that you saw and went through? Or? So I was always a philosopher. I actually consider myself a philosopher. And, and I was always into wanting to understand and seek truth and challenge authority. So I was a terrible student in high school, terrible student, not because I had any learning um, challenges or more because I didn't care or I wanted to understand things for myself. So I, I was always reading, always learning, always studying, but the stuff that I was interested in. I was reading Aldous Huxley and William Blake, and I started doing drugs also. I was smoking weed, and I was doing LSD, and I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. Not so much to party, but more to go deeper into understanding. That's what I was going to ask, because we all have that phase, right? And I think some people have that recreational phase where it's like, hey, I went to a I went to a concert and, you know, had some mushrooms and it was fun and blah, 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 blah. But then I think people really do deep work with it too. So No, I was going more to the, to the ocean, to the beach, like bonfires and then seeing where our mind could take us. But I, I, I was really into exploring, learning philosophy, understanding life, making sense of life. Um, I read a quote that, that really put me on the path that, that I'm on by William Blake that said, you must create your own system or be the slave of another man's. Hmm. And so I really took that to heart. I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm already thinking I'm going to create my own system. I'm not going to abide by anybody else's system. I'm going to figure this out. And I became a rebel without a cause. It got me into a lot of trouble. I was doing drugs. I was rebelling against the school. I was getting bad grades. I was giving my mother a hard time, like really hard time and uh, really challenging and pushing the edge until I turned 21 where I had a, an awakening. I had a moment and I, for myself, discovered that it wasn't taking me anywhere, that it was meaningless what I was doing, that that's not what I was, I you know, I was wasting my life away. Was there a specific event that triggered that, Jose, or was it just a, just one day you woke up and it just kind of came to you as, as a thought? I, I think since I was already a big thinker and, and really reflecting and going introspecting that when I would wake up after these parties or these moments, I, I felt empty. Got it. Okay. And I was like, yeah, when I'm high, it's all good. But yeah. when I'm not, it's all like meaningless yeah what's the purpose what what's I the purpose so i was creating suffering yep. when i wasn't consuming or when i wasn't high i was suffering like what's all this for i had gotten to a place in my mind where i felt i've done everything 
I know everything. And little did I know that I had done nothing and I knew nothing. So there was a really, there was cognitive dissonance there where I thought I knew everything. And in reality, it, I felt like I knew nothing. I don't know if that makes sense. Total sense. Yeah. But it was more. And and that's those inner awakening moments, right? Where you actually have to face yourself, your truth and say, you know what? Okay. I may think that I know everything. I may think that I have it figured out or, you know, whatever, but yeah, those, those deep moments. Um, you know, I, I, uh, one of the things I always tell people is I'm a big mirror work person, Jose. So, um, I do a lot of mirror work. I, I at least once a day I'm in front of the mirror and I'll, I'll say things. And I, and I tell people even like, you know, people are like, Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a salesperson, but I'm working on an elevator pitch and things. And I'm like, listen, look yourself in the eyes in a mirror and say your pitch. And the day yeah. you believe yourself, is the day you're ready to go out and, and, and market yourself to the, to the market, right? And it's like, because if you don't believe it, if you don't believe it in yourself, if it's not your truth, you can try to fake it till you make it, right? But we all know that we all get found out at some point, right? So Yeah, and that's a great way of seeing it because I was faking it unless I had some substance that made me feel confident and all-knowing and whatever. When I wasn't there, I was like miserable. And on the so, surface, you're super happy, right? People see you and Jose, he's the fun party guy. Things are great. His life must be great. He's surfing. He does this. He does that. But again, that's that's the above the iceberg, right? That's that's what people see up here. They didn't see anything down here. So so um, somebody did reach out to me and I had, I had a guide. I had somebody like snap his finger and say, like, you know nothing. Wake up. Grow up. Like, and I knew I had a lot of potential. Like, I felt I had so much potential and that I was wasting it. And so I went into a recovery program. I got into a 12-step program. I went into AA. Um, and my dad's brother was also in recovery. And I reached out to him to sponsor me and support me and guide me in that process. Coincidentally, he owned the leadership center. Outside the city in the mountains of Managua, he had this retreat center where they were teaching leadership using ropes courses, outdoor leadership, sort of like an outward bound um, type school. Okay. So not only did I go into AA and start the 12-step recovery, which I think is the best mastermind group ever, but I also I had... It's a mastermind. I like that. Yeah. And it's free. Yep. <laughs> So I also had this mentor on the professional front, like my, my, you know, he was, I decided to go work with him in the leadership center and he started mentoring me in self-development, transformation, leadership, how to be a facilitator, how to be a coach, how to support others in their growth. Like I started getting some very strong mentorship on that side also. So I was doing the recovery work and I was also learning uh, a trade. I was also learning a craft as a facilitator um, with my uncle slash mentor at his leadership center. And that's, that's where everything came together. And I believe that probably because you were at that state, you're at that state of, okay, you, you surrendered to the recovery, right? You surrendered to the program and things like that, that you were probably actually ready for those lessons at that point, right? Because then yeah. that was probably your wake up moment of like, because I think if you would have approached that leadership training at a different phase, you probably would have had a totally different result. <laughs> I had worked there when I was in consumption, when I was like 17 and okay. nothing stuck. I, I was like... Nothing stuck. Just remember, this is a funny story. I went out to party one night, got home like at five in the morning. Um, and my uncle, the same one that helped me in recovery, at that time I was working with him, but I had, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't ready. It's exactly what I wasn't in the right moment in my life. I wasn't in recovery. The student wasn't ready for the master. I remember I, I had just laid down to bed. I had just closed my eyes when... My, you know, somebody in my house came up and said, your uncle's here. He's picking you up because we had a workshop that day. And I get on the car and he could probably smell it, right? He could probably smell the liquor in my breath. And he looks at me and I had made him wait, you know, because I wasn't ready. And, and, and he was waiting and I stepped into the car and he looked at me and he said the two words, 
the first lesson, one of my first lessons sticks to me till this day. He just looks at me and said, choices, choices. Wow. And that's it. We drove off. And I was like, I would have preferred this guy lecture me. I was going to say, right? <laughs> just berate me for 40 minutes. <laughs> make me angry at him. Make me resentful. Make me hate him. And make me make him my enemy. But no, he made me my enemy. Well, it's it's easy for us to deal with our own shit when we can make someone else. You know, it's easy to give ourselves excuses, right? It's like, well, no, this guy's just picking on me. This guy, you know, he thinks he knows everything, this, that, and the other thing, right? And like, we become a victim and we, yeah. we develop that victim mentality. And honestly, I think that's something that people do too quickly. You know, we just... We have this nature of like, hey, as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as something doesn't go the way it was planned, or someone's giving us feedback or giving us advice, you know, I think some of our egos are just a little bit too big to be able to ever receive that and, and, yeah. and really understand that someone's looking at our growth and trying to help us, not just being critical, right? And not judge us. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't, he had a way know. of teaching that was just, you know, it was an amazing way of teaching, but it was never like it was revealing. He was a great master at that. He was a great master at helping you see things that you weren't seeing. And those two words, just that, you know, choices, choices stuck with me for the rest of my life. And though I didn't make the changes in that moment, it made sense. It made sense then. And it made sense later on. And I say it to my kids. I say it to my clients. Choices. <laughs> choices. Yep. That's all it's it is. You've adopted now, right? That's because yeah. it. So many years later, I was ready, and I was in the recovery process, and I, you know, the student was ready for the master, and I came up to him. I remember one day sitting in one of the sessions, watching him do his work as a facilitator, and just in that moment, it dawning on me, it's just you know, like this is what I want to do. You know, I was making changes in my life, I was transforming my life, I was living my life in a way that I felt um, like I, I felt incredible about it. I felt really good about it. And I wanted other people to be able to find that same joy in living life in an extraordinary way. And I was watching people come to the center from companies, from, you know, the groups that would sign up to come and, you know, it was corporate, corporate groups, universities. We would work on team building and leadership skills. And I was doing ropes courses. I was, I went to Outward Bound to train. I was living a life and, you know, I was in the mountains. I was teaching people. I was enjoying it. And I was 23, 24, 25. And we were receiving people and they were bitter and they weren't happy. And that's the problem I saw. That's what I couldn't tolerate. I couldn't tolerate people feeling like I hate my job. I hate my work. I hate my, my boss. I hate what I'm doing. And I'm a victim of this. I can't do anything about it. I have no choice. That to me was the problem that I wanted to solve. That to me was like, how do I help this person? And I would push myself on them. I would try to convince them. I would tell them, no, you can do it. Like I would try to push what I was learning for myself on them and it wasn't working. I was just coming off as pushy or judging well, and it's, or preaching. It's difficult. Well, it's difficult in those moments because it makes so much sense to you. Because you've done the work, you've done the process, you've observed, right? So like, I've, I've had the same thing where it's like, it makes so much sense to you. And you're like, why can they not just connect to this? Like, how can they not see this, right? Like, what's, what are they missing? And, you know, it, it's frustrating sometimes. And it's difficult because it's like, you're so in it. And, you know, I equate that to, you know, anything, right? Like, you know, people will get super excited about a, a team that, you know, made the playoffs, right? And it's your city. Now, there's someone that has never watched a football game, has never done this, that, and the other thing. Next thing you know, they're, they're crying at the Super Bowl because of like the – but it's that, it's that community that brought them into it, right? And it's that energy that surrounds them and brings them to it. And then that's what they're feeding off of. So it's not their passion for football or for the Eagles or for whoever, right? It's, it's that they're feeding off of that. Um, and, and in that moment, they can accept that. They can be like, hey, this is what we're doing right now, right? And I think – when it comes to self-development, I think one of the challenges is people don't always know that they're ready for that moment or that they even need that moment or, or, or you know, where they are, or what it is that's missing, right? Yeah. So, so I had a, 
I had a limitation in that moment. I had a desire to help, but I was limited. I didn't know how. I wasn't approaching it the right way. Through facilitation was one way, but what I discovered, and one day we had a course on coaching, talking about 17 years ago, you know, I get the first, like my uncle tells me, we're going to do a course on coaching. We're going to sell this course. And I'm like, what the hell is coaching? He's like, oh, it's this method where you help somebody accelerate their development, maximize their potential, live the life their dream, you know, help them develop. It's where you support somebody in their development. And I'm like, oh, shoot, that's what I need. That's what I, that's who I am. That's what I want to be. That's what is, tell me more about this coaching thing. And he's like, well, it's also a profession. I'm like, wait a minute, you can get paid for this? <laughs> wait, I, like, can, I can do this as my job? <laughs> like, wait a minute, you can get paid. Yeah, you can get paid. You can get paid very good for this. I'm like, wait, 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 so how do I do this? Wait, wait, like, hold up. You're like, how do I do this? How do I become a coach? Can I coach tomorrow? And he's like, no, you have to train. So I come from a line of coaching that, you know, I'm, a, I'm an accredited uh, interna uh, International Coaching Federation, co you know, ICF coach. I trained as a professional coach. I took a really long process of formally training. And, and I find a lot of value in that because it's, I have this person with this limitation that I want to serve, that I want to help. And I have this training that's helped me serve them in the best way possible. So the answer to my question of how do I serve this person was, you know, develop yourself as a coach, learn how to be of help, of service. So I asked my uncle, where do I start? And this is where, you know, the universe is conspiring, my friend. So my uncle was like, I have a friend in North Carolina, in Asheville, who wrote a book called The Mindful Coach. And my uncle actually inspired him to write the book. So in the, in the acknowledgments, my uncle was acknowledged by Doug Silsby. Yeah, wow. Doug Silsby was my mentor. He passed away in 2018, but I trained with him for over 10 years. But my uncle tells me I have this friend in, in Asheville who has a book called The Mindful Coach. So I go and I read the book. Now, here's two things here. I'm learning about coaching, but I'm also introduced for the first time to mindfulness. Okay. So this book is actually on two things here, coaching methodology and mindfulness. So now it's like, what the hell is this mindfulness thing? I want to go learn with this guy. So I... Go to this in the beginning, which was really beautiful because Doug only had the book and a workshop on the mindful coach. It was a three-day retreat. So I went to take this retreat. But Doug was also developing his own curriculum and his own coaching accreditation program. So I was getting to watch him do it in real time. So when I started, he only had the mindful coach, but then he wrote Presence-Based Coaching, which was his second book. And then he wrote Presence-Based Leadership, which was, and he started developing this whole path of training that I was really committed to. I was, you know, I was his student. This was my teacher. This is the path that I'm going to take. Um, so I was really focused on learning from Doug Silsby. That to me was a great master. And my uncle had introduced me to him. It was his friend that coincidentally was also about mindfulness and presence. So I am also a certified presence-based coach. Got it, got it. That I learned from Doug. So I had the International Coaching Federation uh, certification and the certification with Doug Silsby. Uh, but for me, it was more important to learn from Doug than the ICF path. Yeah. But Doug had his program accredited, which just gave me the accreditation. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? Because I think, you know, you knew that deep down what you were learning and the actual teachings and the actual diving into the mindfulness exercises and stuff is really, I mean, it's like anything else, right? We can go to college, we can get a degree and someone comes in, they're like, oh, I'm an expert in business development. I'm like, you don't know anything yet, right? It's like, you you know, you, you studied some books, you, you know, you have some knowledge, right? But how you apply that knowledge. And I think that's where like, the accreditation thing versus the, and, and I think we're seeing more and more of that, right? Like I know, you know, in my, when I grew up, it was like, listen, 
you have to go to college. If you don't go to college, like you are not going to be successful. You can't create a successful career. You can't this, you can't that. And now things are, things are evolving past that. Right. And I, you know, I, I see that even in my, with myself, um, with my middle child, my middle child is brilliant because I, amazing mind, amazing thinker, you know, definitely has ADHD, definitely struggles with some in school stuff and everything, but we found a path for him that we're like, you know, he, he's doing remote learning now. He's absolutely excelling. He's got a 4.0 GPA doing the remote learning. He's my business partner, actual named LLC business partner in my Rush Bowl store, the Acai Bowl store that we're opening up. Kid has been invited to three community speaking events, right? So it's funny. We got in the car the other day. He spoke in front of um, 50 business professionals, right? Networking meeting. He's 15 years old, mind you. Oh, wow. So he gets up in front of a room. They're like, you got 10 minutes, right? And he is just doing his thing, you know, just, you know, spilling it out and everything like that. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, well, Christian, I said, you know, in, in high school, there's a course called public speaking, you know, and you can take that course and you can learn a lot of skill sets and this, that, and the other thing. But guess what? You just got an A. Okay, because you went up there, you publicly spoke in front of a room full of business professionals, like tough crowd, and you killed it, right? So now you're just going to work on refining that skill and think. So it's it's interesting to see where it's like if I, the minute we took him out of the box, Jose, he is just flourishing, right? And he is just like just to see it. And his mother, same thing. You know, uh, um, my you know my ex and I are are, are divorced, but we remain very good friends. Um, fortunately. Right. So we are like truly best of friends. And we both say it all the time. We're like, look at his growth. Like as soon as we untied that box and said, you know what, maybe this isn't his path. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better path. So it's amazing to kind of hear that from you and kind of hear those. And and I love to hear those stories because it gives that confidence and like, I'm not messing my kid up. Right. Like I'm actually creating a system for him where it's like he can thrive and you know, he tells me, he looks me in the face. He's like, yeah, by the time I'm 20 years old, I'm going to own two of my own Rush Bowl stores. I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, amazing, right? Like, good for you. So, I was the worst student throughout all high school. I struggled. My mom would go lobby all the time to keep me in high school. I graduated last in my class. And, but I always tell people, I graduated last in my class, but I was probably happier than number two in the class. Because number two wasn't number one, and she probably wanted to be number one. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was as happy as number one, but I was the last one. I was just like, I made it, man. But I was joyous. I was like, I made it. This is amazing. Yep. Yep. But what happened, you know, you asked me before about how did I get into political science. Yep. I, I gave it a shot to study agriculture. I went to Honduras, to a very difficult school, because my dad, I, I used to love going to the farm with my dad. Okay. We would go on the weekends to the farm and I would love being out there with him. So in my mind, it made sense to study something that had to do with the farm. Got it. So when I told him that I want to study something that has to do with the farm, he's like, oh, you're going to go to Samorano. Yep. Samorano is like the best school in Latin America for agriculture. Yep. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I was like, okay. I went and I failed miserably. And I had to come back from from Honduras to Nicaragua. And since I already failed at high school, like I was bad at high school, and I just failed out of Samorano, my parents told me probably the greatest thing they could have told me, not in the best tone possible, but the greatest thing they could have told me. They were like, you know what? Just figure it out. Go do whatever the hell you want with your life. We're done. Now, it wasn't it wasn't in the positive tone. It wasn't like... I just want you to be happy, figure out what yeah. you want, just go. It was more like, we don't know what to do with you anymore. I'm <laughs> I've tried everything. I'm exhausted. <laughs> you go figure it out. I wish they would have said it in a more, you know, positive tone, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. It's like, I'm free. I'm free from everybody's expectations. I'm going to do, I'm going to go figure this out. Yep. So I went to the university. I didn't know what I was going to study. I thought I was going to get into tourism. They didn't open up the course on tourism, like the class, like the, the, the career, the, the whatever you call it. And so I had to choose on the first day of school what I was going to study. So they gave me the menu of, of uh, what do you call the, 
the careers. Yep, yeah, yep, the career you awesome. curriculums. The curriculum. So I started looking at them. I saw engineering, like, hey, I'm not doing engineering. Business, nope. Uh, so I kept on going through the curriculums and I was just looking what it was about. And then I got to political science. I never thought about political science. I had never considered political science. It never crossed my mind. But when I started reading the curriculum, it was like philosophy, debate, communication. I was like, wow, this really, like, this is interesting. Long story short, I decided to sign up. My mom and dad didn't have a say in it anymore. They didn't care what I did. I had freedom to do whatever I wanted. And I started getting the best grades I have ever gotten in my life. Wow. Like I was showing up to school. I was just showing up. That's all I was doing was showing up and I was getting good grades. Because I was Do you feel it what? do you feel that part of that shift was at that moment you felt that you were doing it for you now at that point versus like you know, you're doing it because your parents told you you have to do it or society tells you you have to do it or... It was, I was good at it. I was talented at it. Got it. I was talented at speaking. I was talented at thinking, at debating. I was talented, talented at speaking in public. So in, in, in the way the university worked is you would work in groups. So I would, I would get together with a group of girls of the class, you know, the, the smartest ones. They would do a lot of the work. And then I would present because they didn't want to be in front of the class. They didn't want to do the public speaking part. So the day before we had presented, you know, for the test, they would give me the information. They would teach me everything. They would tell me what I, and I could wing half of it. Yep. Yep. So I was talented at it. Yep. And just, I remember showing up to my communication class one time and I was kind of clueless. I guess I was surfing that day or something. And they're like, Oh, you got to give your final exam today. I'm like, what do you mean? I got to give my final exam. They're like, yeah, you got to talk about, you got to give a five minute talk. I'm like, what? <laughs> but I had already done this philosophical talk with a friend of mine one night at a party. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to tap into that real quick. <laughs> and I was like, and I started telling everybody how everything is energy. I was like, everything is energy. And it manifests through the world. And I started going and I got a 95 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. On a, on a, so it was, it tapped into my talent. Nothing you prepared for. It was nothing that you, you know, studied and, and rehearsed and did oh. this and that. You just got up in front of the room and did it. I just got up in front of the room and did it. Yep. So and that's I, that natural ability. That's that. Na- and that's, that's what I saw. That's what I saw in Christian Jose. Like, Swear to God, man, I had a tear in my eye as I'm seeing this kid look at the room, make eye contact in the room. I'm like, how is he doing this? Like, how is he doing this? And it's like, and I even asked him after the fact, I said, and, and I'll, I'll give you one, uh, one little moment with him too, because you'll appreciate this. So end of last year, so his older brother is super academic. And when I say gifted, truly gifted, right? Kid does not work at all. Okay. 4.7 GPA, 1480 on his SATs as a sophomore. Okay. Like just ridiculous off the charts, whatever academic track he wants to do, he's going to do. And, you know, and and I always would joke growing up, we always knew this about the two boys. So growing up, I'd always say, Matt's going to invent something. Christian's going to sell it and daddy's going to retire. Right. So it's like, so, but I, I kind of knew at a very young age, like who they were and everything, but there was this pivotal moment for me that I knew I had to make a change for him last year, which was, you know, he, he got his report card and, you know, we're about, you know, we're avoiding failing. How do we avoid summer school? They are the same end of year rush with the teachers. Okay. Get this missing assignment in and we won't fail him and all the same thing. Right. So I remember just one day, um, he, he literally just broke down, man, just sobbing like hysterically. Right. And, And he kept repeating the same thing. And he's like, dad, why did God give me a stupid brain? Why do I have a stupid brain? Why? And bro, like to this day, like that, you know, eats at me. Right. But when we were at this event, okay, there's a facility near us. That's this incredible baseball stadium. Okay. So where I live in Florida, people travel from all over the United States to play here year round. So I'm talking six, seven days a week. There's a thousand people in that parking lot, right? Constantly. So when we first decided to open rush bowls, I said to Christian, I said, we need to make a connection with that stadium. Right. Like if we make a connection with that stadium, that's more than six figures a year in sales. Right. Easily. Right. So we're at this meeting. Christian does his spiel. Then we're going around networking. 
I'm trying to find the person to shake hands with. Christian has a line of 12 people waiting to shake his hand, right? So next thing you know, Christian comes over to me and he goes, hey, dad, he goes, there's someone that wants to meet you. And I said, great. I said, who is it? And he goes, well, you know that big baseball stadium? And I said, yeah. He goes, it's the owner. And I'm like, really? Okay. So I walk over, shake the gentleman's hand. First thing he said is- your kid is unfazed by the fact that this guy he has no idea what's happening right now right he's just like oh this guy's nice dad right this nice nice old guy he's the other unfazed by the ego or like me i'm like wait what like let me fix my hair yeah him just totally unfazed so uh so anyway so i go over shake his hand and stuff and he goes literally the guy looked at me goes are you are you the one responsible for this talking about christian and i said yeah i said that that's my son and he goes that's an impressive young man, sir. And I was like, thank you so much, right? So anyway, we get into the car and we're leaving the place and Christian is just on fire, flying high, everything, right? And I've always told him, I'm like, Christian, your brain is not stupid, it's different, right? Like yeah. it's your intelligence is off the charts, it's just a different type of intelligence. Yeah. So we sat in the car. I'm like, how do you feel? I always ask my kids, like connect to their feelings and things like that. How are you feel right now? Tell me about your emotions. What are you feeling? So then he's, you know, smiles and I feel great. Da, da, da. So then I looked at him and I said, so how'd that stupid brain serve you today? And he just looked at me and he goes, I get it. Yeah, dude. And it was like that breakthrough moment where it was just like a light bulb went off and he's like, I get it. Right. And I'm like, it's not a stupid brain. It's a different brain. So you got You got to find your place. Yep. You got to find your place. If you find your place, all you got to do is you. Yep. See, if you, you know, the, the most effortless way to be is be who you are. It's like to do you is the most effortless thing to do. It comes with ease. If you can find your place, you know, on my path one day, I was going to present to this huge group, but in my mind was very important and I was overly anxious trying to impress them that I got to a point where I was like, bro, just let go. Just do you. If it works, great. And if it doesn't work, great. What's, what's the worst thing that And I did me and it was the best response I had ever gotten from a group. So it just reaffirmed, just do you. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, great. But it is going to require the less effort to be you than to try to impress or be somebody you're not. So the more you can define who you are and just do that, the easier it's going to be. But here's, a, here's another interesting story. I heard uh, Willie Robert, really Robert Robertson, really Willie Robertson, the Doug dynasty. Yeah. 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 Robinson or Robertson. Robertson. I think. Okay. Willie Robertson speak on stage. And he was talking about when he first took over the Duck Dynasty, the Duck, Duck Commander. Um, and he was running the company and he came up to his dad. And he's like, dad, we got to fire this guy. You know, he's not doing anything. He's on the couch. He's just living off everybody else's work. He's not, you know, he's not pulling his weight and we got to fire him. And the dad's like, you're crazy. You're not firing my brother. It was, it was Uncle Cy. Gotcha. Who was not doing anything. Yep. But when they started the show, it was Uncle Cy that was the most celebrated of all of them. He was the he was the one that was really making it happen for everybody. You're making the brand, right? Like really. Yeah, making the brand. He's like. This guy was, you know, he was the, the, the golden duck. He was the duck that was laying the, the golden eggs. Yep. All you had to do was just put him in the right place for him to just be him and, and things work out. So I, I believe we all had to find that. And, 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 you know, I think I've, I've been doing a good job of that for myself and trying to figure that out for my children also. You know, I have the benefit of now seeing my daughter and my son and just like the story of your son. It's like, okay, man, just find your place yep. and you will flourish. It's amazing. So, so, so in my story, you know, I went from being a rebel without a cause, a philosopher, a, a, a thinker. And, and then I became a, a rebel with a cause. I'm still a rebel, my friend. <laughs> Always will be. Always will be. <laughs> I rebel against the hustle culture. 
I still rebel against, you know, everything that you need to do to make it work and make it happen and everything that everybody tells you that you have to do and it has to be this way. No, man, I'm still doing it my way. Um, so I'm still a rebel, but now I'm a rebel with a cause. You know, I, I have a purpose. I think we can, you know, you, you said we would talk about the why. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I, I want to get into that. And I, I always leave that for the end, Jose. And and I was really excited about yours because, like I said to you previously when we chatted for a minute, um, I I love diving into people's whys. Like in my coaching, that's one of the first things that I really do with somebody. And what I always find is that um, a lot of people have the surface level whys, right? So it's like, well, because of my kids and I want to provide the best life, you know, and, and things like that. And to me, yeah. those are surface level whys. I heard your why during the conversation. You know, you, you, you revealed it somewhat earlier, but I, I want to dive into that with you because I want people to understand and, and learn from somebody with your knowledge, with your experience and everything like that, that if you feel your why is surface level or if like your why is only like for me, Jose, I've never been attached to money. Okay. Like, yes, I'll set, you know, finance goals. Like, Hey, I want the business to get to this goal. And so, right. And I think that's a good, it's a good metric. It's a metric revenue numbers, things like that. It's a metric that we use in business, but I always tell people to take it further and attach that to an outcome. Right. So it's like, you know, if I want to, buy my family a, a brand new RV and start to travel the country more and start to see things more and do this, what steps do I have to take? What design do I have to make to get myself there? And, yeah. and one of the tools is money, right? So I'm not against money. I just don't hyper-focus on money. I've never hyper-focused yeah. on money. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. But, but with let's, you. let's jump into your why. So. so here's a couple of things I'll say on this. One is, you know, I don't believe our mission is to make money, but our mission should make us money. Yes. Our mission should give us sustain our lifestyle with abundance. Even if you're going to be a monk in a monastery, you need to, you know, be able to support yourself. So yep. your mission isn't to make money, but your mission should make you money. And money is an indicator that you're doing a good job. To me, it's an indicator that you're doing it right. And you can do it better. And But the way I approach this is the why is why I do what I do. Why do I do what I do? And the bottom line is, that I do what I do because there is suffering. That's why I do what I do. Because people, the other reason is because life is so extraordinary and we only got one shot at it. It's a miracle and we don't want to waste it. So why do I do what I do? Because there is suffering and because life is sacred and you only got one shot. So for that reason, my purpose is to be a source of presence, strength, and transformation for others. Because there is suffering, and life is sacred, and you only got one shot. My purpose is to be that source of presence, strength, and transformation for others. That's, that's my purpose. And that's the way I approach it. Yeah. I love and I do that through coaching. I do that through my workshops. I do that through my content. I do that through conversations. I do that through whatever vehicle project I bring into the world, whether it's apparel, we're developing apparel. We're, we're actually going to develop what we're calling the world's most empowering apparel. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to have Tell, a me, about that. So it's, huh? Tell me about that. What's, what's the, what's the vision for that? The vision is that it's got soul. It's got, you know, it's going to make you feel stronger. You wear this, you feel like a warrior, you feel unbreakable. You feel like, you have purpose and meaning. We want to transmit like a way of being through apparel and build a community around that. So I believe that all of our projects, just like your podcast and your consulting and these, all of our projects need to have this purpose as the soul, as the center of it. So whether it's my coaching or if I'm writing a book or an apparel company, it all has to be a source of presence, strength and transformation for others. Gotcha. So it all aligns to that one specific. It's got to all align to that specific purpose. Even if I make a coffee brand and I call it unbreakable coffee, you got to wake up in the morning, you're holding your coffee cup and you're feeling stronger, unbreakable because the, the brand has that purpose. It has that soul to it. Yeah. Because you didn't create the coffee company to just create another flavor of coffee or whatever you created the coffee company to connect somebody to that. So whatever it is, it always yeah. 
back to that initial purpose. It's, it's the same coffee with a story with soul behind it. It's got to have soul. And the soul is the purpose yep. to be a source of press and strength and transformation for others. So that's my why. And again, I do that through coaching. Uh, I coach business leaders. Um, I transitioned from working with people in Latin America to working with U.S.-based business leaders. I bring a completely different approach, you know, outside of the hustle culture. So I bring another perspective. Um, I bring depth to my work. Um, and the way I say is I help business leaders expand their capacity to manage their full catastrophe. And what's the full catastrophe? I love telling the story. There's a movie called Zorba the Greek where they ask Zorba, um, are you married? And he answers, am I not a man? And is man not stupid? Of course I'm married. <laughs> I, have wife, I have kids, I have the business, I have the house, I have the full catastrophe. That's what he calls full, full catastrophe. catastrophe. I love it. Full catastrophe. So I help business leaders expand their capacity to manage their full catastrophe with greater strength, stability, and presence. And I, and I love that, Jose, because I think, and I'm sure you experience with some of your clients, um, it's not always about, hey, I want to make more money, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you know, and, and sometimes people come into coaching and, and different things, and it's like, and, and I think sometimes people think that that's the only purpose for it, but it's like, listen, if I, even if I could show you a way to make the same money that you're making today, but feel more fulfilled, more purpose-driven, more everything, then are you richer? And like I said, for me, it's about happiness. It's about fulfillment. Um, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge gratitude person. So I, I, you know, physically write down my gratitude notes every single morning, you know, and things like that. Um, and, and I think that when people start to, and it was funny because when I first started doing it, it was, you know, from an exercise from a book, right? Big, big think, grow rich guy. So, you know, I've always tried the different principles and things like that. And when you first do it, it almost feels weird. It almost feels like a little bit awkward and outside and stuff. But then once you get into the rhythm of it and you actually start connect, that was the big moment for me, right? So I was going through the motions, I call it, in the beginning. Okay, I'm supposed to write down four to five things that I'm grateful for. And I would write them down and stuff. And I, I would do the exercise and get it done, right? But I'm in part of the hustle culture. So I got my next meeting and I'm going to run to the next thing. Well, once I learned that I have to actually stop and sit with that for a moment. So write those intentions down, write those you know statements of gratitude down, but then sit with them for a moment. Actually think about them, feel them, experience them. That's when this stuff really starts to work, right? That's when manifestation starts to work. And, and you know, you talked about that. And the other thing, um, I'll, I'll give you a quick flash here. So my, my main, this is my most valuable possession, right? That I have. Beautiful. Uh, thank you very much. So story about that real quick. I found that painting online, right? And I saw, and it was this artist, Francis Toogood and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my God, like I've read all Jim Morrison's poetry, huge Doors person. Yeah, you know? Huge fan. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. The Lizard King. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So anyway, so I find this painting, right? And I'm like, I have to have that painting. I'm not attached to anything material, but I had to have this painting, right? So I start mm -hmm. going back and forth. Turns out I went to grade school with this artist. He was my friend. He has wow. a whole different personality. So I didn't realize it was him, right? And then we just, he said something about like St. Dennis or something, right? Like the grade school that I went. And I'm like, dude, I went to St. Dennis. Like, And then he's like, well, this is Frank. I'm like, Frank, are you kidding me? Right? So it's awesome because as you know, the birthplace of Jim Morrison is Melbourne, Florida, and that's where I live. Right. Wow. So I tell Frank all the time. And it's just, when I found Melbourne, Florida, like it was by accident. I literally drew a map from Orlando and I was like, I want to be surfing. So how close can I get to the beach? Right. And like, this is the area that I found. And I actually went to the birthplace of Jim Morrison with the painting and I took a picture for the artist and I sent it to him and I'm like, your painting made it home. <laughs> your painting is back in, in Melbourne, Florida. And he was like blown away by it. So um, there's a lot of synchronicity in there. Yep. Yep. So, so synchronicity to me, uh, I would love to just explain it for people yes. listening. Synchronicity is those moments of coincidences, but um for me, those moments of coincidences just are a message from the universe that you are in the right place where you're meant to be. Like that moment, 
that you feel that synchronicity, yep. it's the universe telling you is you're exactly where you need to be. Everything is good and you're going to be okay. Yep. And I have so many moments of that happen on my path when you're, when you're awake to it, when you're open to it, when you're actually seeking that path, when you're, when you're conscious of what you're doing and in self-development, uh, which to me, self-development, Sean, is our ability to develop our own curriculum. Yep. Like school provides a curriculum, university provides a curriculum, society wants to provide you a curriculum, but self-development is taking responsibility and building your own curriculum, putting yourself through the courses, the, the, the practices, the books that are aligned with what you want to do, what you want to become, what your dream is, what you want to manifest. It's you figuring it out for yourself to make it happen. Yep. To me, that's I always, I always joke with everybody. I say, I started reading and studying when I finished school. Yeah. <laughs> like I always say that, right? Because it's like, I went through the motions in school, but it wasn't my passion. But you give me a book like Atomic Habits, or you give me something like that, man, and I can't put it down. Like, I am yeah. just into it. And just so, um, so that's amazing. Learning and develop, but parallel to school, I was like failing at school, but here yep. I was, I was learning, I was developing. Yep. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, Jose, we are coming up on the end. Thank you so much. This was amazing insights. Um, pleasure to meet you. I'm definitely taking you up on your offer to come down to Nicaragua, and we're gonna do some surfing. Um, I'm well, definitely coming. I do have a my my dream is to host people here in Nicaragua. Oh, wow. Retreat wise. So I just want to maybe take the opportunity to announce that, that in December, I'm going to have my first retreat, small Amazing. group, four to six people. We're going to do leadership, breath work, mindfulness, body work, volcanoes, lakes, ocean, surfing, free diving. I designed. So I was a surf and adventure tour guide for, for some time also. Okay. So I'm bringing that and my leadership and coaching and facilitation skills together and designing a very unique experience to host people here in Nicaragua, which has been a dream of mine for quite a while now. So that's amazing. Well, and see if, if not on this first one, you have to come. Oh, I'll some. definitely be there, Ed. I will definitely right. be there. It will be my pleasure. All right, sir. Thank you so much. Go make it a, a – so are you surfing today? What's What's on the agenda for the rest of today? No, today we're going to work out and just read. And I think I have another uh, coaching call later this afternoon. Got it. All right. I'm surfed up for this weekend. Yeah, I, I saw that, man. You were hitting some bombers this weekend. So I'm yeah. glad. That was amazing. That's amazing. All right, yeah. brother. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Much love.